John ends up, John's disciples end up kind of in a squabble with Jesus' disciples. And so there's an amazing line in here. My Bible starts off with that. And John, I'm going to go ahead and just read that scripture right away. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open to John 3, chapter, I mean, chapter 3, verse 22. Read along with me. And after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Ainan, near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Remember, John gets thrown into prison. And ends up being beheaded, right? Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. They're talking about baptism, the baptism of purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you, and he's talking about Jesus, beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, I am not Messiah. But I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. It's kind of cryptic and interesting. We're going to talk about Jewish weddings here in a minute. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Do y'all hear that? He must increase, but I must decrease. That should be the motto of every one of us who are Christ followers, who are Christians. And we'll talk about how we live that out. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we look at this piece of Scripture that you preserved, that you wrote, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that we would be moved by it, Lord, that we would hear it, Lord, that we would mark it, and Lord, that we would inwardly digest it, Lord, tonight, and it would change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's the name of this. So, I think it's interesting because we've just read this test, this text. And it tells us some important things. John's disciples felt competition. You know what I mean? Because there they had had this great ministry with John. Thousands of people came out to hear John. Thousands of people got baptized. It was a big deal. We read in scripture that almost like all of Jerusalem was coming out to hear John and then Jesus shows up 
And there Jesus is quietly baptizing. His disciples are baptizing. And John's disciples feel threatened. They go, oh, what's going to happen to our ministry? And I think what's really important here, and I had a conversation this week with someone in our congregation who was here and was involved and then left because they couldn't understand that God calls us into different seasons of our lives. Amen? Amen. He might have you for a while leading the PowerPoint. And the next thing you know, he's got you cleaning the bathrooms. Or the next thing he knows, he's got you sitting across from somebody who needs a helping hand and a loving heart. And I'm going to show you tonight that every one of us has a ministry right now where you are. And it makes us, and it begs the question, is your Christian service all about you or is it about Jesus? That's a very important question because sometimes we imagine a ministry that we think should be worthy of us, right? We want to do this big thing. We think, I've got to go to Argentina and lead a revival and lead 500,000 people to Christ. When actually, maybe the Lord just wants you to go across the street and mow your neighbor's lawn. Because we put these, attach these things, really, if you think about it, and we can couch it all and go, well, if it really honor God, you know what honors God is doing what God wants you to do. And it may be cutting the grass instead of going to Argentina and preaching a revival. If someone wants to go do that, I'm not discouraging that. But I'm trying to say, is your Christian service all about you or is it about Jesus? And I asked this person who was disgruntled because their ministry was changing, is this about you or is it about Jesus? And I received no answer. Are you thrilled when God gets the glory? You cannot imagine how many people have come up to me and go, it is amazing what you've done at Union Grove. Boy, do I stop that real quick. Y'all know me. I won't even call this my church. Because it's not my church. It's God's church. And he has people here. Don't ever call it Faber's church. It's the church that God has out at the Grove. Faber's one of the guys that speaks. I'm very, very quick to say that because I am thrilled when God gets the glory. When I came here, I made a decision that this would be driven by Him and not by me and not dependent on my talents and everything that I could do. So are you unsure of what your ministry should be? You ever sit and wonder, what is it that God wants for me? Mm -hmm. Folks, your ministry is right in front of you, and I'm going to show you that tonight. It's right in front of you, and it may be sitting across from you right now where you are. So the motto for each of our lives should be, I must, he must increase, but I must decrease. I love that picture. I just had to put it in there again. It looks like that one guy has on a cap, but it's not. It's a thing wrapped around his head. <laughs> That's John baptizing Jesus. This is a this is something I found on Google that I love when I'm showing the scriptural way that Jesus was baptized. It says, and when he had come up out of the water, all right, and baptized, I mean, of course, that's part of the thing that I guess is a Baptist thing. The word baptized means immersed. So if you say, well, he got baptized by sprinkling, you're saying he got immersed by sprinkling. It doesn't matter. None of this gets you to heaven. As I say, it's not salvific. But I think it's kind of interesting and fun that we practice baptism in a way that Jesus was baptized. That's how the Jews are baptized. And they still are today. If you want to convert to Judaism, people don't know this, 
Every synagogue has a mikvah in the back. And you have to be baptized by immersion. So let's just look at the text. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And it went on and they were in these places. John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute. And really the dispute was really about the fact there was competition, I think. A lot of times things that are the reality get couched by something else. We might think that someone's being mean to us. I'll say that when people are sometimes just extraordinarily horrible to you. And you think, gosh, they're a horrible person. Remember what I've always told you guys. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. Amen. So the craziness we see going on in society, it's really not crazy people, although they're pretty crazy. Talking about all this woke, weird stuff, right? It is the power behind them that is driving them to do the things that they do not even understand that they are being used as a tool of Satan. Amen? So they're not the enemy. The enemy is Satan. They're just being used and they're a tool of Satan. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, he's baptizing and everyone's coming to him. And John answered this, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. What is John really saying here? What John is saying is that the talents that you use in your ministry, we have a prayer ministry that Marlene kind of facilitates. It's, it's, it's involved with a whole lot of people, all of us, okay? But that's a talent that was given to her from heaven on how to set that up. When Michael teaches, that's a gift that he received from above. There's nothing special about the fact that I've been given this gift or Michael. It's a gift that we've been given Amen. and it came from above. So don't ever get too worked up. I guess what I'm really wanting to say is too impressed with yourself Amen. and your ministry. I told the leadership here about four or five years ago, I said, you know, we're going to do fine if none of us just gets to thinking too much of ourselves. Remember when I said that, Sue? And that's what keeps us is the humility. And so John is saying, I would have been giving nothing unless it had been given from heaven. Let me show you a verse out of James, chapter 1, where James says, Every good gift, and remember, James was the younger brother of Jesus. What an awful thing. Can you imagine his brother saying, Why can't you be like your older brother? Because <laughs> my older brother is God, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When we do what we're supposed to do, and we just take the gifts that God gives us and use them to His glory, and don't worry who gets the credit, it's amazing what can get done in the kingdom of God. In the McMullen household, when my kids were little, I said, y'all, it's amazing what we're going to get done as a family if we don't worry about who gets the credit. And that goes for a church as well. It's very easy and tempting to think of ourselves as too important. I'm really, really important because I'm the only person in here that knows how to use the clicker. I mean, you can just add that line in there. Don't ever think of yourself so important that God cannot replace you in a second. Amen. We're all just temporary. My old pastor, Clyde Larrabee, used to get up and tell people after he'd been there 14 years, I'm just the interim pastor here. 
What he was trying to say is, I'm here until God moves me on and brings somebody else. I like what Paul said to the Corinthian church. He goes, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what's written. He goes on, he says, for what do you have that you did not receive? Amen. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So he's saying, don't boast about whatever talents God gives you. Just use them and use them for his glory. Amen. So what are you doing in ministry? Why are you doing what you're doing in ministry? Are you doing it because you want to be special? I have people that come to me and they really want to be special. And what is that? It's really all about them, isn't it? Because they've not heeded the words that John said here. He must increase and I must decrease. My job is not to be this guy that's so popular they can solve all your problems. My job and the job of all the other pastors here is to lead you to Jesus. Amen. And to let him solve your problems. Not us. It's so important to remember. Yes, I know that we want to be needed, right? We feel like, I want to be needed. Well, you know what? You are needed. Yeah. Guys, there are so many people wounded that need your <clears throat> touch and need a visit from you. Lonely people sitting right here in our church. Just go out and be with one another. Go be the heart and hands of Jesus to not only those in the grove, but those that are outside your neighbors. So who is building up the grove? Who is it? Is it favor? It's God, right, Savannah? Savannah gets it. Nobody else got it. Point up, she says, it's God. Learn to be thankful for any number. It's very, very dangerous when pastors or anybody that's a minister associates numbers with the importance of what they're doing. Did y'all know I've never counted the people that have come here one single Sunday? Or one single Wednesday night. Now sometimes when I have eight people call me before Sunday, go, not going to be there, Pastor. I'm going to Oklahoma. Not going to be there. I'm going to a ball game. I'm thinking, who's going to be here? <laughs> I really have thought that. And I tell Sandy, I don't know who's going to be there today. Like last Sunday was one of those. There was a big call of people. And half of the people, and everybody goes, what am I, a chopped liver? <laughs> half of our normal people weren't even here. I mean, I'm not saying they were abnormal. Just What'd you say? Just just abnormals, yeah. But my point is, don't associate the grandness of a ministry with numbers. Yeah. When we came here, Sue, we were a mighty congregation of seven people, weren't we? And y'all are kind of getting a dose of that tonight because I used to do all the singing with Sandy and did the preaching. And this is a real rare night when I do both. It's probably been years since I've done this, Sue. Been a long time. <clears throat> and my voice is showing it. So be thankful for any number, large or small, that comes <laughs> under your ministry. You go, well, what is my ministry? Well, some of you all, your first ministry is to your spouse at home. You've got a spouse, a husband or a wife, and God wants you to be a minister to them first. Amen. Yes, yes. Yeah. Juan, you love hearing her say amen to that. <laughs> so... Anyway, some of you all are bosses over people. You're still in the workplace. Did you know that your ministry is in that workplace? Amen. And that God puts you there as a field of harvest for a reason? You may think that you're there to be the 
poncho, okay, the big cheese. You're there because God rose you up to be there. And you're there to help those people do what? To solve all their problems? Is that what you did? No. To help them find Jesus. Amen. And teach them how to let Him and His Word solve their problems. Yeah, amen. That's the deal. Every good gift comes from above. So a principle of life is be faithful and content to walk in what God has given you right here, right now. Bloom where you are planted. You have a great ministry. You have a ministry to Jerry. Then you have a ministry to Destiny and all of your grandkids. If you have grandkids, raise your hand. Every one of those is a field of harvest for you. And don't you forget it. Because it is you that is going to lead them to Christ, to teach them what is right in the world, not all this craziness the world says is right. Everybody's saying now that right is wrong and wrong is right. Well, you know what? They're all wrong. They're all wrong. The Bible is right. So that is a grandparent's ministry. Parents, some of you still have kids in your influence. And your kids are hanging on by thread. And you can make the difference to let them have an abundant life or have a life of misery and addiction and all kinds of other horrible things. Bloom where you're planted. John knew his role. He says, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I'm not the Christ. He said, I am not Messiah, but I have been sent before him. It's important to know your role. It's important for Michael to know his role and Larry and Daryl and Marty. You have a field of harvest wherever you are, Marty, people to minister to. And John knew. He knew who he was. He didn't want to be the big cheese in the center ring. All I could think about, Doreen, I thought you'd pull a slide over the circus, but... We all want to be in that center ring and instead of saying, God, just use me, maybe up in the bleachers. Use me up there. Oh, the things we dream up about that we think that God wants us to do and the ministry is right in front of you. It's right in your office. It's right across the street, Michael. It's right over in the next subdivision. It might be in the same room. So, do what is in front of you. That's a lesson tonight. And the second part of that is do it well. I can say to you all, I've never gotten up before this congregation in these eight years and not been prepared. Where I've been on my knees or on my bed. I don't want to lie before the Lord. (laughs) It said, guide me, Lord, in this passage. I don't want to waste your time. I've spent so much time in churches with my time wasted. Can anybody amen that? And you walk out the door and you think, what in the world was that all about? I don't have a clue what I heard about. And uh, so do what's in front of you. What are you doing with what God has put in front of you? You know, John didn't think about what he didn't have. He knew who he was. He knew where he belonged. He knew Jesus was Messiah. And he knew, and it's going to be a beautiful thing he says, that he was the bridegroom's friend. You and I are the bridegroom's friend. We're going to learn about that. So don't think about what you can't do. Think about what you can do and do it. Some of us are still waiting and trying to prepare to figure out what we're going to do because we're waiting for God to call us for that big deal. And it's really the person in the office across the hall that has a life that is coming apart. Or the person that's your roommate who's moved in that their life's coming apart. That's your ministry. Don't think you have to chase the big deal, okay? The big deal in man's eyes Lynn, is not the big deal in God's eyes. 
You got ministry right in your house. I know you do. What a beautiful thing that is. So, think about what you can do and do it. Now, this is probably my favorite part in here. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. This is kind of an odd thing stuck in here, isn't it? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about brides and bridegrooms. I've been reading through the Bible. I've through the Bible in a year. And I just read the book of Hosea last week. And Hosea portrays Israel as God's bride. And it's a bride that is a cheating bride. She's unfaithful. She cheats. And he talks about her being a prostitute and a whore and all this stuff. It's the picture of Israel as the bride and God as the bridegroom, okay? And guess what? We are the bride of Christ, aren't we? We are the bride of Christ and He's the bridegroom. And He goes on and He said, He who has the bride, that's God, is the bridegroom. Let's just translate what this means. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears Him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Let me tell you about Jewish weddings. The friend of the bridegroom was kind of like a wedding coordinator. Have any of y'all ever heard this? Like a wedding coordinator and a best man all wrapped up in one. And the, and the friend of the bridegroom sent out all the invitations. The friend of the bridegroom is the person that organized the feast. He's the person that got the rabbis together to have the wedding and have the celebration. And his last job was to go and guard the bridegroom's chamber. And he would take the bride in there and have her waiting for her bridegroom. And then he would sit and wait and guard that room, waiting for the voice of the bridegroom. And when the bridegroom announced that he was coming, that friend of the groom rejoiced because his job was done. He had preserved the bride and brought the bridegroom into the bride. Isn't that a great thing? And so there John is telling us, it's okay. I did my part. I sat and I listened. And then I heard the bridegroom's voice. And there's the bride. And I'm all okay with it. And it says, and he rejoiced greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. We should be thrilled when anything that we touch or have any part of in ministry points to Jesus. And when we start thinking that it should point to us and our importance, oh boy, are we in deep, deep trouble. And why is that? Because it's not about you. And it's not about me. Alright? So, John is saying, learn to rejoice when you do your job no matter how insignificant you might think that your job is. That's really an important lesson. It so easily comes off of my mouth. But think about it. When you're back there washing the dishes, it's easy to think, well, all I'm doing is sitting here washing the dishes. Or you're adjusting something in here that doesn't work anymore or figuring out what's wrong with the lights. Or you're trying to film something on an iPhone when you really need some bigger camera. Just use what God puts in your hand. And I'd say, you do a great job of that, Randy. Just use what you have and leave the rest to God. So, here's the big one. He must increase, and I must decrease. And that is a motto for each of our lives. That, oh, our flesh longs for something different, doesn't it? Yes. 
my flesh longs to be important when I don't submit it to, to the Holy Spirit and submit it to the Lord Jesus. I used to have a guy that came here and prayed with me because he thought we were going to have this giant revival. He told me, it's going to be the biggest revival since the Welsh revival. I said, man, I'd just be glad if people show up Sunday for church. <laughs> oh, no, Brother Faber, you need to think bigger than that. No, I'm not. I'm going to let God do the thinking, and I'm just going to be faithful to do what I'm supposed to do. Amen? Amen? And that's what I want for each of you. So what is the pride? It's the pride of life. Remember when I preached on the fall of man, and I talked about Eve, that, that there was the lust of the eyes, there was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in her fall. Were you here that day, Gloria? When I preached on that, that's what comes at us. In 1 John 2, 16, John writes, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and I don't mean that's just your, not just your flesh flesh, it means the way you think as a human being, and the desires of the eyes, the eyes that See, you know, remember we've all heard of eye candy, haven't we? Mm -hmm. I've never heard of ear candy, you know? It's eye candy. Our eyes attract us to things. And they distract us from things we need to be focused on. And they attract us to things. I'm quoting that great theologian, Michael Havens. <laughs> they distract us from what we shouldn't be focused on. They attract us, don't they, Michael, to what we shouldn't Amen. be attracted to. And we're there because of the lust of the flesh. The eyes, the desires of our eyes, and the pride of God. It is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Nick Adamo, doing the will of God, may be looking after a baby. And you and Sarah do a great job of that. You think, well, that's not significant. It is if it looks apparent. Hear the word of God, amen? Yeah. That's a great ministry. That just is an example. Don't let the Dorian put this in. Because can I put in this picture? It's funny. It is funny. <laughs> Don't let the pull of the pride of life get between you and Jesus. That thing got over there. Sometimes it's hard to open your hand, but you need to. That's what that says on there. That little guy needs to let go of his pride, and then he's going to be saved. So three musts that we see in chapter three, because you know Daryl's done preaching on this. I think you did, Michael. And then Larry was to do this tonight. Are these first? We heard. Remember, Daryl, didn't you do uh, Nicodemus? Or was that you? Yeah, that was Michael. For the sinner, you must be born again. Amen. Every one of us here must be born again. Amen. It's very clear. For the Savior, He must be lifted up. Amen. Right? That's what we're learning tonight. For the sinner, He or we must decrease, and over time, our identity in Christ, which I have preach to you guys displaces our self and our flesh and it does this in moment by moment choices that we make in our life. Amen. I make a choice every day, every moment really about how I'm going to respond or I'm going to react and I feel miserably. I mean to some of you guys, people in this room where my Christ likeness, my identity just faded away because the emotions of my moment maybe got the best of me. But the Lord forgives all that and cleans it, doesn't he? We don't have to run around beating up on ourselves. We don't have to work real hard at this because God will do the heavy lifting. You go, I can't try harder, Pastor. Good, stop trying so hard. Someone said to me, I just can't try any harder. I said, then why don't you try dying harder? You can't try harder, die harder. Die to yourself. You did anyway. If you accepted the Lord, you were crucified with Christ, right? Yep. 
So, over time, our self and our flesh can be displaced. Let's finish up the end. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony set his seal to this, that God is true. Amen. So what this is saying is, and for whom God has set, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. What does that mean, Pastor? What that means is, John is just saying to us that if we don't receive the gift that God has given us for eternal life, we say that God's a liar. That's what he's really saying. It says this in other places. Because when we accept the Lord, we are saying that God's word is true and his promises are true. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I learned this in the King James' kid. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It's probably seven when I memorize that. <clears throat> so who, he who comes is above all. This is what John's saying. He's emphasizing <coughs> the deity of Christ. John utters the words of God because he's God. And I tell y'all how what a relief it is in your life when you realize you're not God. That's what y'all are all going to remember. Favorite part. Man, when I figured out I wasn't God, my life got so much easier. Amen. Can anybody amen in that? Amen. Whether it's an illness or hardship or a marriage that's falling apart or somebody that done me wrong, whatever it is, it's just so wonderful when you don't try to control everything. Right now, I have a friend who's an unbeliever with a similar illness to what I'm going through. He caused me panic. He caused me upset. He's freaked out. He's angry. He's terrified. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He tried this thing and sends me all these articles. And I just said to him, finally, I said, Joe, I called him Joe. I said, you know, I submitted myself a long time ago to the sovereignty of God. And it's such a belief. I don't know that Joe understands that yet, but Joe will someday. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. That's to us tonight. All things are given to Jesus. All things. So Jesus is given authority over us. Yes. He has the authority over us. And he said, Lord, because you have authority over me, I'm going to submit myself to you. Mm -hmm. And I do that, and I do it in Jesus' name. Yeah. So that's the word for tonight, is that he must increase and we must decrease. You have ministry right where you are. Go and live out your ministry. Amen? Amen. Amen.